This is Language Made Difficult, an allegorical part of the SpecGram podcast. Welcome to our Linguistics Roundtable Telesymposium. I'm Trey Jones, and joining me today are the rest of the Ling Nerds, Bill Spruill, hey. Sherry Wells-Jensen, hi there, and Keith Slater. Great to be with you. Also joining us on the program is Pete Bleakley. Welcome, Pete. Good night, everybody. <laughs> thanks for visiting with us. And we need to give a special thanks to listener Tobias Hugber for kickstarting this series of episodes. So let's start off with some lies, damn lies, and linguistics. Before I get to the items, I want to let our listeners know that last summer, Keith invoked a particular and peculiar clause of his contract that has had three very important results. Result number one, it kept us off the air for about a year. (laughs) That was an improvement, too. (laughs) (laughs) Result number two, it resets the scores for lies, damn lies, linguistics. So everyone is back to zero, even though I was clearly winning. Hey! (laughs) And number three... Uh, neither Keith nor I can say any more about it. Two of those are true and one of them is false. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Lies, damn lies, and linguistics. Today's theme is themes are for the weak. So there is no theme. <laughs> so we've got three language-related items. Two are true, one is false. Repeat for Sherry. Two are true, one is false. Thank you. You guys have to figure out which is which. And after you make your overly educated guesses, we will discuss. Item number one. There is a traditional sheep counting system in Northern England that counts like this. Yan, Tian, Tethera, Methera, Pimp, Sethera, Leathera, Hovera, Dovera, Dick. Item number two. According to a 1978 survey undertaken by linguists at American University, the average U.S. speaker of English cannot correctly pronounce between 1.8 and 2.1% of the words in English. The authors blame English spelling. Item number three. In a criticism of Grice's maxims, one author claimed that the Malagasy have a completely opposite cooperative principle and speakers are reluctant to share information and flout the maxim of quantity by evading direct questions and replying in incomplete answers because of the risk of losing face by committing oneself to the truth of the information, as well as the fact that having information is a form of prestige. All right, who'd like to go first? Oh, me, me. I'll go first. So this traditional sheep counting system in Northern England, this is true. Now, I haven't been to Northern England myself, but I know that it was once ruled by the Norse, who are known to have had sort of a hot and cold relationship with sheep. And also, I'm pretty sure that I heard this same thing on a James Herod episode on the BBC once. So I'm going with true there. The Grisian maxims... I think this is true also, and it's related to, I'm sure you guys know this from your Linguistics 101 classes, the traditional Malagasy evidential system coincidentally had four terms even before Grice intuited them, and they marked for the relevance evidential, the quantity evidential, the quality evidential, and the I heard it from a linguist evidential. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure that one is true. So that leaves number two to be the untrue one, unless... This is linguists at the American University, you said, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with that being untrue. It might be that it was the American University in Moscow, which was devoted (laughs) to studying English in 1978. There weren't any other safe topics for them to investigate there. But I'm still going to go false on that one. Okay. Who's next? Sherry. Bill. Oh, all right. I'm going (laughs) to... What I really want is for Pete to read that list in number one, because I feel like if I could get him to do it, I would just know. I feel like I would just know. But failing that, I'm going to say it's true anyway, because it's awesome. And I want it to be true. And it reminds me of all those higgledy piggledy pudding and pie kind of nursery rhymes that we had back when we were but small things. And so I want that to be true. It's very important to me personally that that one's true. So I'm going to mark that one as true. And number three, I also think is true. I hate to agree, really, right off the bat with Keith, because I think that sets a bad precedent for the whole show. But I'm gonna anyway, because I read this in my Intro to Linguistics textbook, right? As did many of us. 
And yep. if it turns out to be false, I feel like that will tear out the underpinnings of all linguistics everywhere, and we will just collapse in a giant unemployed heap. So, <laughs> Which might happen anyway. It could. It could. But for my personal good, number one is true. And for the good of the order and the good of our discipline and the good of all things, all things small and enormous, <laughs> number three must be true. So if it's not true, I'm going to mute my speaker while you say so, because I have to believe these things. I also think that in Trey's enormously overeducated way, these numbers for number two are a little too precise, and I don't like them. There's just so many ways that one could be wrong that I don't even want to bother counting them. There's just too many ways. He made up these numbers. These seem like Trey-ish numbers. <laughs> they both have a one in them, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're sort of near each other, and they're sort of almost believable if you're not quite paying attention. You know, it's exactly the sort of thing that he would do. Okay. So, I'm going with number two. All right. To me, it looks like a 95% confidence interval, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> See, you make, that's exactly what you would make up. <laughs> it is exactly what he would make up. So, you're probably right. Yeah, you are too. Good job, Pete. <laughs> Congratulations, Sherry. Thank you. Bill? Okay. I'm willing to believe, number one, I've been in Northern England once. As far as I can tell, sheep are kind of like quantum particles that appear around any ruined building, or maybe they cause buildings to fall into ruin. I'm not quite sure about that. But if you see like parts of a stone tower in the middle of a field, there will be sheep around it. And I think maybe the counting systems are to prevent more of them from appearing. <laughs> If you know how many there are, then there can't be more of them. They can't phase into existence. Okay. But this sounds believable. Some of those words, especially the one for five, looks Celtic. I mean, it could be some sort of, you know, Anglo-Kelto-Norse hybrid something with some fun rhyming in there. So I'm willing to believe number one. Wait a second. So you're saying pimp looks Celtic? <laughs> P-Celtic, not Q-Celtic. <laughs> Okay, continue. Now, two and three present me with a problem because there's something fishy about both of them. For number two, the numbers should be much larger. <laughs> the full set of words in English include all of those chemical terms and all of those biological terms and place names in Britain, which can never be intuited from the spelling. It's just a huge section of it. So that looks low to me. Number three also looks fishy because if you really think about it, if the Malagasy are doing something opposite, then it's not a cooperative principle. They cannot have a completely opposite cooperative principle. What they would have was an uncooperative principle. <laughs> However, I am quite willing to believe that Malagasy speakers would become uncooperative around linguists because Malagasy is really interesting and they probably want the linguists to go away and leave them alone, please. But the problem is other people have said number two is wrong, which makes me not want to pick that one, but I'm going to pick it anyway. Whoa. Okay. It's a clean sweep. Does anybody want to change their answer before I give Pete a hint, perhaps? <laughs> he doesn't need a hint. He can stand on his own two feet. All right, Pete. Right. <laughs> For number one, yen tien tethera methra pimp sethera leathera hothera cothera dick, as yeah, okay. Sherry was requesting me to say. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's true. There are variations on that all around Northern England, Wales, and Scotland. The only slight snag is maybe it's actually from Wales or Scotland, 
and the lie is saying that it comes from northern England. Okay, number two, that sounds like a suspiciously precise statistic against a very vaguely defined baseline. And then number three, well, I remember Bill talking about the uncooperative principle. He did a talk on a bureaucraties conlang at the Language Creation Conference a few years ago. And of course, there's a saying amongst conlangers, anadu, and natlang's already done it, except worse. So (laughs) unless Trey, knowing that, has prepared an elaborate double bluff as a trap for me, I think that one's true as well. So I reckon we're unanimous on this. I think it's number two that's the lie. Okay, let's go through them in order. Our traditional sheep counting system uh, is true. It continues Yanadik, Tianadik, Tetheradik, Metheradik, Bumfit, Yanabumfit, Tianabumfit, Tetherabumfit, Metherabumfit, Gigit. And there are lots of variations. At least a couple dozen of them are on Wikipedia. And you can look them up if you just look up Yantan Tethera. And there's also an opera called Yantan Tethera, which is, quote, based on a supernatural folktale about two shepherds, their sheep, and the devil. Mm. Oh, and what Sherry was saying about nursery rhymes, one of the mm. variants that occurs is for 8, 9, 10, Hickory Dickory Dock. Ah. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Suddenly that nursery rhyme makes a whole lot more sense. This is hover a dover a dick. And so they're the same initial consonants. Pretty interesting, huh? Huh. Yeah. Cool. All right. Item number two, about approximately 2% of words that U.S. speakers of English cannot correctly pronounce is in fact false. Yes. However, the study did find that between 68 and 87% of all statistics are made up on the spot. (laughs) Also, you guys really think I'm much more tricky than I am. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, item number three. Uh, the Gricean maxims in Malagasy, that is true. And uh, this factoid comes to us from alert listener Tobias Higbear. I want to know how many sheep is Higbear, though. <laughs> so I believe in Swedish it means high mountain. So I don't know what you mean by how many sheep were in there. Well, you know. Dickery. Dickery. One <laughs> tithera, tithera. <laughs> The reason that they have these systems for counting sheep is so that they don't fall asleep when they're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Now on to the important matter of the scores, which we don't really need to discuss. All right. So that's all the time we have for Lies, Damn Lies, and Linguistics. We'll be back in a second after a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Tobias Högberg. It turns out that incessant pestering does pay off. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Vitor Jaraujo. Every holiday season, countless linguists have their celebrations ruined by thoughtless gifts given by clueless loved ones. Please, in the name of Chomsky, don't ever buy them a book with eats, shoots, or leaves in the title. You don't have to know whether your linguist is an applied sociophonetician or a theoretical historical syntactician to give them a gift they will treasure for years to come. The Speculative Grammarian Essential Guide to Linguistics is the most fun a linguist can have with their clothes on, though we have to point out that while reading naked is not the unmarked condition, neither is it infelicitous. Give the gift that says, I may not understand what you do, my dear linguist, but I still want you to be happy. The Speculative Grammarian Essential Guide to Linguistics. Available in both hard copy and electronic formats. See specgram.com slash book for more information. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. The article we're discussing today is Sound Meaning Association Biases Evidenced Across Thousands of Languages. As you might guess from the title, it is a terrifying study of thousands of languages and many more numbers. A group of researchers at the Max Planck Institute have taken a very large set of numbers, looked at 
how particular types of concepts are encoded phonologically in those languages and come out with the claim that language is not as arbitrary as we think it is. Now, of course, every linguist in the audience is now looking up, trying to figure out, you know, exactly what the enormity of this crime against linguistics is. I mean, if you take out arbitrariness, what do you do? We glory in the fact that language is arbitrary and therefore we can't run out of ways to talk about it. (laughs) The only saving grace of finding out that language is not arbitrary is that in principle, then we could go around and tell some people they're using the wrong words, (laughs) which has a certain kind of appeal to it. (laughs) But of course, when we approach this kind of study, we have to read it carefully, have to figure out what's going on here. So I did read the study. It, in fact, does have enormous numbers of numbers and equations. It is from the Max Planck Institute, which sort of shows you up front, this is part of the insidious wedge of physics intruding into linguistics here. Bye! The study might actually have something, or at least it's got walls of argumentation that prevent me from confidently saying they don't have something. In some cases, the things they're finding are kind of predictable. The word for breasts in a lot of languages has an M in it, which Jakobsen could tell you probably has some basis to it. There are things like the word for small frequently has a C or eats in it, and that's kind of along the same lines as the Kiki studies and those sorts of things. It's certainly an impressive study. They ran it past a number of linguists, including Comrie, so they've gotten feedback on it. The only things I'm sort of immediately suspicious of are, number one, although they did try to control for some phonotactic restrictions by having different measures that matched word length, I kind of want to know what kind of effect that had on their results. They're probably telling me what effect it has, but I don't know how to read it, which is, of course, their fault. (laughs) Number two... They're using a beta mixed regression model. And the problem with beta mixed regression models is they cooperate with you a lot. I mean, they don't fight back. Now, if they had used an alpha mixed regression model, then you think, you know, they're taking charge here. That model is is not going to put up with any vagueness or anything. But the beta one, I'm a little suspicious. They just glared at it and it backed down and gave them the results they wanted. <laughs> So what I would like to know from all of you is, was this article persuasive to you or just intimidating or did it just bring on that sort of dark malaise as you watch the armies of physics advance? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, as uh, I suppose one of the armies of physics who's managed to advance onto the spectrum. Editorial board. Uh, I think looking not just at the paper itself, but I thought the articles about the paper and the popular press had um, rather overstated the enormity of the findings (laughs) because it's a, a rather subtle effect. And the interesting thing is that it's a very widespread but very subtle effect. And the thing is that you don't tend to get hard and fast rules in linguistics. You tend to get general tendencies, which practically always have 
exception to them. So there isn't usually a, a link between sound and meaning, but the whole edifice of linguistics is not going to come tumbling down if there is one here and there. But, you know, languages have large vocabularies. There's no way everything can be created from sound symbolism. Right. I also thought the popular press articles were kind of ridiculous the way they were saying, this explodes all of everything linguists have ever loved and thought to be true. And it's just <laughs> ridiculous. I didn't like the increasingly arbitrary nature of the groups that were reported, at least in the popular press. I didn't have access to the original article. At least I found it amusing. I mean, they talk about how like sand will probably have an S and red and round are likely to include an R. And the word for nose is likely to include an N sound or an O sound. And then it starts stretching a little bit. Leaf is going to be an L or a B or a P. But then it was I is unlikely to include U, P, B, T, S, R, or L. And U is unlikely to include U, O, P, T, D, Q, S, R, and L. You know, and like Pete said, it's not a very strong effect anyway. So just to have this big class of things that it doesn't include for no particular reason was kind of weird. The math of it still leaves me feeling like there's a good chance of just kind of coincidence that they didn't properly account for. Even though I know they tried to control for aerial effects and genetic similarity and this false discovery rate and everything, but I don't know. And like Pete said, they do not overturn the fundamentally arbitrary nature of language. They did not mention acacia trees anywhere. So <laughs> there is that that needs to be controlled for. <laughs> when I was looking at this, the thing that I started out with was the words for red have an R in them kind of statistically. And I would just like to say, as a proud color graphing synesthete myself, R is not red. So, I mean, I think that's data enough. That <laughs> anything. So I went out vindictively to sort of, well, I'll just use my handy-dandy thesaurus to now show them. And so I looked up red in my handy-dandy dime store thesaurus. And I did find out, weirdly, that all the words for red in English that aren't actually stupid do have an R in them. If like you, what? Give us a list. Scarlet, vermilion, crimson, ruby, cherry, cerise. That sounds like cheese more than a color to me. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's French for cherry. <laughs> Carmine, which is uh, some kind of lotion, isn't it? It's not really a color. Coral, <laughs> rose, maroon, rufus, which is ceiling tile, I guess. It's a hummingbird. All of those have R's in them. And then the ones that are supposed to mean red that don't have R's are cinnamon, which cinnamon isn't red. Wine, which is an important beverage, not a color. <laughs> and damask, which isn't even a thing. And there's also one that has something to do with grinding up female insects to color food red, which I'm not even going to say out loud because it's too creepy. So I did think it was a little bit weird. And I don't like it. Again, I think it's probably the popular press is way overstated. I'm okay with there being a little bit of, huh, factor every once in a while. Everything doesn't have to be completely arbitrary. That's okay with me. But I do wish the popular press would calm down a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I do feel that the authors should have cited a paper that appeared in Speculative Grammarian the other year on the mytholinguistic significance of butterflies by Mary Hazlitt <laughs> Lamb. We do see this uh, effect occurring again and again in words for butterfly. They do tend to have bilabials or some sort of labial sound in them, and they also tend to have some sort of repeated element in them. And another effect I've noticed, and this is, I think, quite important for phonology, is that quite a lot of phonological terms begin with a sound that has the feature they describe. So, for example, the for 
voiced. B for bilabial. L for lateral. N for nasal. F for fricative. I wonder what a voiced bilabial lateral nasal fricative would sound like. <laughs> you want that egressive or ingressive? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, give it to us. Dealer's choice. Any volunteers? No, no, no. I have children at home. I can't. <laughs> I think they have that sound in Swedish, don't they? <laughs> okay, if no one else is going to try it, I'm hoist by my own petard here. I was hoping he wouldn't be able to resist, but I think it's something like. <sighs> <laughs> something like that anyway very good so I'm yeah, there is that this. theory that that sound was the initial phoneme in proto world for the names of basically a bunch of megafauna at the end of the last ice age and it was so annoying that our ancestors killed all of them <laughs> <laughs> You know, giant armadillos, the giant ground sloth, they all had names like and so forth. And after a while, you know, after you got Flint technology up to speed, it was sort of like, we're tired of saying these things. Let's (laughs) let's roast things. (laughs) You sure it's not just the roasting is enough of an excuse? Because burned animal is tasty. (laughs) Well, you figure a giant ground sloth is like a sloth but giant and when you look at a sloth do you immediately think tasty (laughs) i think algae i think easy to catch (laughs) i think feeds a village is kind of what comes to mind yeah especially for a giant one (laughs) i don't know there's a thing you have to scrape off a tree before you eat it i don't know i don't know Swerving a little bit back to linguistics, Sherry, if you wanted to go looking for counterexamples, one of the things I noticed in some of the online discussions about this is that if you look at population of speakers rather than number of languages, the U not having all of those sounds in it doesn't really work out very well because among the letters it's not supposed to have are T, D, and U. So we have U and, and U in English and all the to and do in Romance and Germanic. So it just seems like a whole lot of counterexamples there. And even though it's not very many languages and they're all European languages, it still makes you feel better like they're just making stuff up. <laughs> it's a funny little pattern, and I'm okay with funny little quirky things. It doesn't have to be about anything. It can just be a funny little thing. <sighs> but does it mean anything? When you get to that big of a list and there's no sense to it, it's kind of like throwing a bunch of ink on a bingo card and then calling out all the numbers that aren't covered and going, see? Just Joseph Greenberg with computers, right? <laughs> Basically. Okay, now I don't want to really insult these people so they come after us. <laughs> I'm thinking that Sherry's list of words for red that all have R's in them makes predictions. So the reason you've got R's in all those words is because they, over time, changed to insert R's or something so that they would have R's in them because they're related to red. And so I think that you've got your word cinnamon, which doesn't have an R yet. But it's a good candidate to get one right in the middle. Cinnamon seems to me like <laughs> what we should expect that word to develop into now that we know that it needs one. And if you think about it, one potential counter example would be the word cerulean, which has an R in the middle but refers to blue. But we know there were people that got ocean water color and wine mixed up because Homer just kept going on about wine dark sea. So, you know, maybe there's something to that. There's also an R in 
green. <laughs> yeah, well, and orange. red, green, color blindness. And brown. But orange is kind of reddish. So is brown. So There's also an R and old yeller. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things are red for some value of red. <laughs> <laughs> Come to think of it, there's an R in sherry. Dun, dun, dun. By the way, for listeners at home who are wondering, I'm not afraid to say that which should not be named. The color that Sherry was referring to before, I think, is cochineal. Ew, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a red dye prepared from the dried bodies of the females of the cochineal insect. Please tell me that you Googled that, that that was not a thought that was in your actual mind. I couldn't remember the name, but I knew that it existed, yes. If you're ever in Arizona and you look at cactuses, Don't get too near the cacti because they fire spines at you. But there's sort of little white webbing bits on them, and those tiny insects are in there. I think if Trey hadn't looked that up, it would have been bugging him all night. (laughs) (sighs) The best part about those, I think it's used in food. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't sleep nights anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I did write a limerick for Joseph Greenberg on the occasion of the publication of this article. Oh. Go for it. Please <laughs> tell it. In case anyone cares. There once was a linguist so green, he published connections unseen, but they weren't strong enough, and he quit in a huff. But hark, they've rekindled the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes Language Made Difficult discussion of sound meaning association biases evidenced across thousands of languages. We'll be back after another word from our sponsors. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Linguistic Satire. The newest MPI campus, the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Linguistic Satire, is proud to bring you this episode of Language Made Difficult. We aren't promising that Language Made Difficult will survive the next evolutionary pruning of the satirical linguistics tree, but it's the best we've got for now. We support it in hopes that it will somehow produce offspring that can adapt to the humorless environment of modern linguistics. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Tobias Högberg. You're welcome, language nerds. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. I would like to ask you the very important question. Is there anything stuffier and more boring than a group of linguists? Anything more pathetic than such people trying to be funny? Yes? No? Yes? No? Yes? You're not sure? Well, this is this that you like. I would like to present to you some linguistic funnies. Things that will make you laugh and laugh and laugh, or possibly not. So, <laughs> who has one to begin? Because if you don't jump in right away, you have to listen to all mine, and trust me, you don't want that. Okay, what do you call 50 Gaelic speakers standing in a row? Q Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I actually have a joke that was posted to the linguist list in 1994. <laughs> And friend of the show, Kian Kaufman, actually says that she got it from one Sherry Wells Jensen. What? In 1994? Yep. But what Sherry was six? only 10 years old then. Six! <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I wonder if I still think it's funny. I actually still quote it. I didn't know it was from you until uh, just when I was preparing for this. Why did the NP cross the road? To get case from the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Do you have any regrets 22 years later? No, I stand by it. Good job. <laughs> Everything you need to know about that. <laughs> Case assignment. Well, I have a report from the Tone Conference. 
Are there going to be evidentials in this too? Don't interrupt. There were highs and lows in the discussion, <sighs> but the contours of the issue were clear. <laughs> hey, you guys, what do you get if the entire vowel trapezoid burns down? I give up. What? Ash. <laughs> oh. Okay, let's see. Go for it. I'll try one. Knock, knock. Who's that? Grice. Grice who? Violation. <laughs> <laughs> If you go out grice shooting, do you use a Maxim gun? <laughs> Since we're on the topic of grice, my favorite category of linguistics jokes are what I call non-Gricean jokes. It's actually a great exercise in class to try to figure out which of Grice's maxims they violate or whether they do or not. One of my favorites is, what's brown and sticky? A stick! <laughs> Why is an orange orange? Because you can't clean windows with a spade. <laughs> <laughs> What's red and green and goes 300 miles per hour? A frog in a blender. <laughs> no, a Berlin and K research stimulus set in a Lockheed C-130 Hercules in roughly good weather. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mine I learned when I was seven, so. Okay. I got another report from the Tone Conference. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oddly, all the presenters were named Sandy. <laughs> Did they well, continue to meet on Sunday? <laughs> okay, let's try this and see if it works. Why did the Fuffy run away? Don't know. The Fuffy ran away because there was no stopping him. <laughs> what is hard and bad for your teeth? A brick. <laughs> <laughs> Why is the speculative grammarian Jousting Knight's phonological cartoon so popular? Because it's awesome. <laughs> because it conveys a faux meme. Uh, a what? I don't get it. A faux meme. <laughs> they're fighting, they're foes, it's a meme. Oh, meme. Oh, you're too... Um, that concludes yeah. the ritual of having to explain the pun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Syncope and Apocope walked into a boop. <laughs> <laughs> Universal Grammar will explain everything, or I'll eat my winter sports gear, said Noam Chomsky. Uh, Why do all dogs sound roughly similar? They emit realizations of the same bark of phony. Oh, man. <laughs> Isolating languages have less themes. Say that again. I just... Isolating languages have less themes. It's a morpheme less theme pine. Okay. Morpheme less themes. Good point. Okay. That concludes the ritual of explaining someone else's pine. <laughs> <laughs> Time for another report from the Tone Conference. <laughs> a number of the Asianists forgot to register. Unfortunately, one of the Africanists wasn't watching on exiting the meeting hall and missed a step down. <laughs> All right, there are two muffins in an oven. One says, it's getting hot in here. The other says, holy crap, a talking muffin. <laughs> okay, old diphthongs never die. They just glide off. <laughs> My students love that one. <laughs> what wears a bell, gives milk, goes moo, and is made of cement. <laughs> a cow. I threw in the cement to make it hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they actually have concrete cows in Milton Keynes. <laughs> That's about the one thing anybody knows about Milton Keynes. Okay. <laughs> is that a British town that's actually spelled with like an initial T H A I G H or something? No, that would make it interesting, and nothing can make Milton Keynes interesting. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>
We're going to get a nasty letter from their Chamber of Commerce now. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. The Tourist Council. Mm. This actually reminds me of the time that the Institute of Civil Engineers objected to an entry in the Yellow Pages phone directory which said, Boring, see civil engineers. <laughs> <laughs> Uncivil engineers tend to get people's attention more. <laughs> okay. Why is voicing dangerous? If you start, you can't stop. <laughs> Students like that one, too. <laughs> okay, when you say your students like that, is it, is it when you were about to talk about optimality theory or... <laughs> <laughs> when do you deploy the joke? <laughs> I transcribe them and put them up on the overhead thingy for them all to read. Ah. I, to reading practice before class. And the longer they laugh, the better I feel and the happier I am, you see. So, you know. Mm. I'm going to recycle a linguimeric here, which also serves as a prescriptivist confession on my part. An Englishman hitting the bottle confessed I would much like to throttle each estuary louse and babbling scouse who turns alveolus to glottal. <laughs> ah. All right, I got one more. What has two legs and bleeds a lot? Half a cat. Oh. Okay, I have an ukulele joke. It's linguistic at the same time. To me, it's the most beautiful thing. But it's really hard to pronounce right. So what is the difference between his ukulele and his ukulele? No idea. Yapenthesis. <laughs> beautiful one more from the tone conference oh good there was a time slot for every talk but they ran over and had to fit the last few all onto a single session <laughs> was that like a special dispensation for that or <laughs> all right well that's all the time we have for language made difficult thanks to our guest pete for hanging out with uh, me and the rest of the Ling Nerds. Join us next time when we discuss how old a linguist should be to get their deriving license. Oh, bad, that's bad. <laughs> You're welcome. Now, that's the MA. <laughs> <laughs> also known as the morphological addition degree. <laughs> Hell broke loose. It's all terrible. Last year was the first time I ever met another conlanger in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know there were any in real life. I never have either. I think about 60% of them are AIs. <laughs> Look, Trey, yeah. I'm going to take points off of Pete for the cool accent, right? I mean, everything he does is minus six to start, right? Hey. <laughs> Sherry, you're the one with the cool accent. <laughs> <laughs> Living in Ohio, it's starting to affect me. Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, higher to you too, Sherry. <laughs> he is a bot. Pete, you're a bot. <laughs> what? Busted. You're busted, sir. <laughs> what? What did you say? Oh, um, Sherry just called me a bot. I think. Yeah. I, I, um, it took me a while to work that out, and I was trying to calibrate how offended I should be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't start getting offended yet. We have hours. <laughs> <laughs> that's true it's all done by bots i just wrote a little thing to score them so that i didn't have to they either achieve harmony or they don't 
they have no idea. It sends them their score too. Do they think I'm like the super most responsive teacher in the whole world? Or that you're a bot. See? You're projecting. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not denying that I'm a bot. I'm just saying that Pete's a bot. Thanks for that score reset there, Keith. That was great. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> that is correct. Keith, you ready to talk about this study? I'm ready, but Bill's doing this one. Oh. I think. I <laughs> According to my yes. notes. Oh, okay. Bill, Bill are you ready to discuss? First. better be because I read that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. Does that go in the outtakes? Oh, hang on. Nice insert a vowel into that word so I can read it better. There we go. All right. Who'd like to go first? Well, uh, so number one. Um, <laughs> Wait, Pete, 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 Pete. Hold up. <laughs> Just a As minute. a reminder. <laughs> There's a hint. Yeah. <laughs> if you go last, I can give you a hint. <laughs> if you go first, I cannot. Why don't you give him the hint now and then we'll all, we'll all be on equal Seems footing. unlikely. So let me ask again. Who'd like to go first? You always say that. And then I always say no. <laughs> That's the enormity of the problem. Apparently, my question was obnoxious enough that the line dropped me. <laughs> Tobias. <laughs> you can't pronounce. <laughs> Hold on. I get lots of takes. I thought it'd be funny to make all you try to say his name since I have to do it too. Tobias Hogberry. Hogberry. Tobias Hogberry. 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 Tobias Hogberry. That wasn't too bad. Okay, Tubius Hugbear. Seems good. like you need a little more of the thing at the end, but yeah. Tubius Hugbear. Oh, that was a fricative. That's no yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> so Sherry, now you just synthesize all of those. Yeah, I don't have the IPA in front of me, so I'm just gonna have to do a mind meld here. Tubius Hugbear. That almost sounded reasonable. Are you channeling <laughs> the Swedish chef, or do you she actually channel Swedish? Swedish? She got the lilt in there, the oh. pitch accent, or whatever it is. Tubius Hugberga. <laughs> okay, he provided the IPA. Yeah, I know, but I don't care how Swedes pronounce Swedish. I was trying to pronounce it the way it's supposed to be pronounced. <laughs> okay. I, you know, they took a couple of wrong turns over the past 600 years. Everybody knows that the only real speaker of Swedish is that chef anyway. So I think this is <laughs> I yeah. thought he spoke Norwegian, though. The chef? Absolutely not. He speaks no. mock Swedish. Everybody knows that. 